Hello, my friends. You're listening to the Life Over Coffee podcast. I am Rick Thomas. I am so glad that you are here. How would you like to take a walk through a minefield? Well, if you hang with me for the next few moments, we're going to go there as we deal with maybe uh, the most sensitive subject within Christian culture, or at least it has to be in the top three. I want to talk about abuse in this podcast. And it is sensitive because, well, it has to be. There is a triggering effect to abuse, and when people enter into those conversations, sensitivities can uh, be acute and emotions can rise because the damage is sometimes it's just unspeakable. In fact, we just received a, a forum, a, a person who came to our forum today who talked about, I mean, it's unbelievable abuse that happened to them when they were a child. And fortunately, they're at the, the point in their, their life where they seem to be doing amazingly, uh, remarkably well, but they, ha- they have had to work through a lot. And I'm not a stranger to abuse Also, I have been in abusive situations with a a father uh, for nearly two decades and also a couple of pastors who uh, were very heavy-handed and mean, just mean men. And so I I do know what it's like. And so as we walk through this minefield, I want you to know that I am aware of it. Also, I am not going to speak to all things abuse. We only have a little bit of time here, and it would take days to do a comprehensive presentation of abuse. And I cannot do that. And you don't want to uh, listen for that long. However, uh, if you If you are of the mind and you do have the time, then I would encourage you to use this episode 389 and that let it be like a springboard. And the reason I say that is because I have more than two dozen links, infographics, videos, podcasts, articles that you can that you can peruse and that you can soak in uh, over the next couple of months. Again, if you have the mind and have the time. And some of you, I trust that you will do that because you're in a situation, either you are the victim of abuse or you're one of those soul care providers, and it would be good for you to have a, a deeper and more expansive understanding of abuse. Again, this podcast won't do that, but episode 389 will And so please take advantage of these resources. And there's one more thing. We're also a dialogue ministry, and so if you want to talk to us, uh, we're not just a resource-dispensing machine. Now, granted, we have literally millions of words on our website through graphics, podcasts, articles, videos, webinars, literally millions of words. Uh, The ministry is heading, is wrapping up our 14th year, so we've been around for a while, and so there's a lot of content here, but we don't want to be a a resource dispensing machine exclusively. We also want to be a dialogue ministry, and that's something that is important to us. And so if you want to talk to us, then go to our free community forums, and you can do that. If you are a supporting uh, member, 
if you're one of those that have financially partnered uh, with us, well, first of all, may your kind increase. And thank you so much uh, for partnering with us because you're the backbone of this ministry. God is using you in a remarkable way as our resources uh, wrap the globe every day, speaking to lives that we will never know until we get to heaven. And so thank you so much for your financial support. But you can go to our private forum if you want to dialogue with us. And so this is not a comprehensive treatment of abuse in this podcast, but I want to I do want to speak to one particular subject and it could be one of the most important subjects and that is data gathering. That is data gathering. Having a comprehensive understanding of what's going on in an abuse situation so that you can do two things. You can help the offended, the person who has been abused. And you can help the offender, hopefully, that you can rescue them out of their caughtness, out of the trouble that their souls are have been wrapped up in. But you can't do that if you don't understand the problem. And so this podcast is about how to do data gathering when it comes to helping the victims of abuse. Now, I'm going to get into that in just a moment, but the first thing I want to do is I want to speak to two common arguments that have become fallacies within the abuse culture. One of them is about how we think about the victims of abuse, and the other is how we think about counselors, those who provide soul care provision for those who have been abused. In the first one, uh, talking about abuse victims, I want to steel man the argument. Still manning an argument, what that means is, is that you go to the other side and you shore up any deficiencies or weaknesses in their argumentation. This is a good practice sometimes in marriage situations to where uh, spouses are in conflict, and so one spouse goes to the other spouse and they shore up or they speak to the deficiencies of their other of their spouse's argumentation. And when you speak to their deficiencies, you're still manning their argument, and you what, what happens ultimately is that you make their argument as clear as it possibly can be so that you're both on the same page, and so I want to still man the argument for abuse, and I would say that in three different ways. First of all, abuse is real. It's actual, and, and because it's real and actual, victims of abuse, they need a fair hearing. They need our understanding, they need our affirmation, and they need our sympathy. Number two, nobody should enter into any of these conversations with a thread of cynicism, suspicion, or unbelief. And so number two is really just the opposite of number one. Abuse is real. They need our understanding, our affirmation, and our sympathy. Number two, we cannot enter into these conversations with a modicum of cynicism, suspicion, or unbelief. Believing all men, women, and children, it's not just wise, but it's helpful, and it's absolutely necessary, and there should be no argumentation against this, which rolls into point number three. All Christians should default to trust. Now, what do I mean by defaulting to trust? Defaulting to truth or defaulting to trust should be our natural instinct. 
It should be our springboard. It should be our starting point. You see, we're made in the image of God, and part of what it means to be made in the image of God is that we have the capacity to believe, to exercise faith, to trust. We have that ability. We are different from the beast of the field, and to be a rational human being, our automatic default should be to trust. I mean, what would be the other option. I mean, the other option, the opposite of that would be to default to cynicism, suspicion, and unbelief. That is an irrational way to live. Have you met the person that immediately immediately when they hear something, they automatically think suspiciously, negatively, unbelievingly, uh, with cynicism? That's not a rational way to live. In fact, if you push it As far as you can push it, it is the pathway to insanity. A healthy, rational way to live is for our default to automatically be believe all women, believe all men, believe all children. In my counseling experience, that's always my starting point. When a person tells me a story, I default to trust. I want to believe them. And you say, well, Rick, then do you ever change your mind? Do you ever come to the point where you don't believe them any longer? Yes, of course. I have many times, but I'm talking about my default. I want to be a rational person, and so I'm going to default to trust. There can be a time with some individuals that the amount of evidence and data collected can rise so high that it surpasses any ability to trust any longer. Yes, that happens, but I'm talking about starting points. And so when a, I'm still manning the argument for abuse, and so when a person comes and shares a story of abuse, we default to trust, we believe. And now I want to speak to the other side of that, which is bad practices among biblical counseling, pastors, and churches. And not, I'm not going to steel man that argument. I want, this is a straw man argument. And what I mean by that, a straw man argument, first of all, is, is where you raise up an argument that has holes in it intentionally. Or maybe it's not intentional, maybe it's immaturity and ignorance, and you don't realize that your argument has holes in it, but nevertheless it's a straw man and it won't stand. And the straw man argument against biblical counselors is because of the bad practices of some soul care providers— It is unfair and disingenuous to say that all biblical counselors and all pastors are not competent, that all churches are incompetent to help abuse victims. And I've heard that argument, and that's a straw man argument. The problem here is absolutism. And though I make the argument that bad practices happen, they do happen. In fact, if you go to these show notes in episode 389, the very first article that you're going to see, the title of it is, Why Most Biblical Counselors Should Not Take Abuse Cases. I make the argument that bad practices happen. Because when it comes to abuse situations, this is a skill set. It's more than that. There are five main elements that a person has to have in order to step into an abuse situation. And if you don't have these things, you have no business helping people who have been abused. The first is character, a person of high character. Two, capacity, a person who has the sole capacity 
all of the qualities, the cognitive, the soul qualities, the discernment, the wisdom to be able to interact with abuse situations. Character, capacity, competency, a person has been trained, not just academically, but they have been field tested. They are highly competent, proven, affirmed in the academy, and then affirmed in the field. Character, capacity, competency, and then number four is courage because it takes a lot of backbone to enter into these situations because of the volatility of them. But courage without compassion, compassion is number five, courage without compassion comes across as rudeness, harshness, unkindness, sinful behavior. Courage run amok. And so compassion is the governor on courage. And so if a person doesn't have these five qualities, that have been proven, affirmed, field-tested, uh, well, then they shouldn't be helping abuse victims. But with that said, it is a straw man argument to categorically shame every biblical counselor, every pastor, and every church who helps abuse victims. And so we want to stay away from these two fallacies within the abuse construct. One, it is real, and we should not say that it's not real. We want to default to trust. And then number two, we can't keep speaking in absolutism and categorical language as though every biblical counselor is inferior, every pastor and every church is inferior. If you are beholding to either one of those positions, I would just appeal to you to change your mind. Now, this is episode 389, and as I said, I have one point here with this introduction that I just gave you, I want to talk about comprehensive data gathering because that's one of the most essential things that you can do if your goal is to help the offended and the offender. You've got to know what is going on. Now, one of the problems within the abuse culture today uh, something that, that has happened to us over the last several years, and maybe it's been going on forever, but there's a particular aspect of sloganeering I'm talking about that has infected and affected how we think about uh, handling abuse cases, specifically when it comes to data gathering. Sloganeering, in almost all cases, becomes a lazy way of communicating that brings our peripheral vision down to where we're only looking through a tight tunnel and we can't see in an expansive way all that we need to see because we're beholding to some kind of cliche or some kind of sloganeering. The slogan that I'm speaking of specifically in this podcast is Believing All Women, which was which is compatible to the Me Too movement, which came around around 2015, 2016, I think, if I have my timeline uh, correct. But we've taken this idea of Believe All Women, and what it has done is it has inverted itself. It's an inverted belief model to where you can't believe anything outside of what the female abuse victim is telling you, and that's a problem. That is a huge problem problem. Now, if you I have an infographic, by the way, in episode 389 here. 
If you are beholding to an inverted belief model, then I would encourage you to look at this infographic, share it with a friend, and that you talk about this. And so it's not so much about sloganeering and cliché, but it's about the effect of that and, and what Believe All Women has come to be, because there is a shrill culture, a very loud, specifically female culture, that are of abuse victims that have been legitimately abused. I have still manned that argument. That's why I still man the argument. It is legit. What happened to them is legit, but they are very angry and they have a hyper some of them are very angry and have a hypersensitivity to where if you believe anything outside of what they are telling you, well, then there is significant blowback. And even, and I've, I've seen so much hate filled speech from victims of abuse because they have shrunken the belief model down. They have inverted it to where you can't do any kind of data gathering outside of what they're telling you. Now, I realize it's complex. I mean, go back to bad practices and inferior biblical counselors. This is a complicated issue, but in this podcast, I'm only speaking to one, and that is data gathering, and it has to be comprehensive, and it cannot be inverted, where it inverts on itself to where it's shrunken down to where now you can't have peripheral vision, which will limit the kind of information that you're going to gather, which will limit the kind of care that you can provide to the offended and also to the offender. Now, if you are a person that's been affected this way, the inverted belief model to where you are not looking expansively at all the data that's necessary to perceive and discern, then you have to ask yourself a few questions as to why. I mean, have you fallen for the sloganeering? Not just the slogan, whether you believe it or not, but you are affected by that kind of limitation in data gathering. Are, are you gaslit? Has someone gaslit you or intimidated you or manipulated you? Victims of abuse can do this. This is why I was talking earlier about courage as one of the necessary components in this type of high-end formalized counseling. If you do not have the courage, you can be gaslit, intimidated, manipulated to where you don't want to go outside of, of, of what this counselee is telling you. Therefore, you're not the leader in the counseling session anymore. The counselee is. Do you struggle with the fear of man, fear of others, where you don't want them to reject you? Are you immature? And, and if you're immature and, and you just can't, won't, whichever the right word is, get out of that tube and have peripheral vision, and you only look at it narrowly through that tube, well, maybe that's a sign that you don't have the qualification to care for people at this level. Do you self-censor yourself? Uh, for other reasons, for example, I've seen this also, uh, that people pay so much attention to what's going on in the culture, particularly the cancel culture, that it has affected them. Now they're afraid to speak out against almost anything, that they, they self-censor themselves. But my questions are all centering around this idea have you behold or you're beholding to an inverted belief model that keeps you from a comprehensive belief model. In Proverbs 18:17, it says, "The one who states his case first seems right 
until the other comes and examines him. And it seems to be pointing to that our data gathering has to go beyond the scope of one person communicating one perspective. When I talk about default to trust, you're trusting what the person is telling you. Default to trust does not limit itself to believing only the person sharing the story. Let me give you let me illustrate that. If one of our children told their version of events, my default is to believe them. Child number one comes in and says, this is what happened. This is what child number two did. I believe them. I default to trust. And then the second child comes in and they tell their side, which is different from the first child, and I believe them too. I default to trust. There's no conflict here. Because a rational, healthy way to live is to default to trust. And so child number one says, here's the story, I believe you. Child number two, here's the story, I believe you. The key here, in addition to defaulting to trust, is not to leave their stories alone, allowing those two antithetical stories to coexist without more engagement. That's a key. And so what I want to do from a position of trusting, I want to interact with both children in good faith, trusting, believing, hoping to find the ultimate truth. And of course, both children appreciate me that I believe them. Thanks, Dad, for believing me. Thanks, Dad, for believing me. And so as I default to trust, believing what they're telling me, I don't leave it there for both stories, antithetical stories, to coexist. And so we proceed, and they proceed with me as we attempt to discern the truth. A comprehensive belief model permits this perspective, and it also permits this progression as you begin to gather data. And so what I want to do, and you'll see this on the infographic, there are several things that I want to look at when I'm trying to understand what has gone on in an abusive situation, and I'll just mention five. First of all, what does the victim have to say? I default to trust. Tell me your story. I want to understand. I want to have clarity. I want to sympathize with you. I want to affirm what you're telling me. I want to affirm you. I want to tell you that you are normal. What you are experiencing is normal. I believe you. I default to trust. But then I'm not looking through a tube. Actually, you could say it this way. I believe you so much that now I want to look at the Bible and see what the Bible says. I like uh, British detective shows partially because of their wordsmithing, and they talk funny. I don't talk funny. They talk funny. But I like British detective shows. And so when a Brit goes into a home where there's been a scene of a crime, and let's say the person's dead or whatever, they go in and they see it, and they believe the victim. In fact, they believe the victim so much that they put on rubber gloves, they put on a jumpsuit, they put booties around their shoes. They believe the victim so much that they're going to look at the victim to see what the victim says, turn them over to see what's on the other side. But then they're going to look at the entire scene, and they're going to do an ongoing investigation. I believe the victim of abuse so much 
that I want to know everything that is possible to know about this situation because I believe the victim so much. Therefore, number two, I want to know what the Bible says. Number three, I want to know what other people have to say, perhaps the offender, perhaps other people who are involved in this situation, comprehensive data gathering because I believe the victim of abuse. I want to know what the context has to say. Those are things that expands my peripheral vision, keeps me from looking down a tube, helps me to collect all the data that's possible, and then I submit all of those things to omniscience. I bow my heart before God, seeking his wisdom in this multi-perspectival approach to problem solving. Now, if this is how you're doing data gathering, then you have your best shot at helping the victim of abuse while also helping the offender, the person who perpetrated the horrific act, hopefully uh, bringing confrontation and that the Spirit of God would bring conviction and there would be some kind of transformation in their life too, but primarily the accent mark is on the victim that you want to help them because they have been, they have been sinned against in such an awful way. And so what does the victim say? What does the Bible say? What do others have to say? What does the context say? And then you submit all of that to omniscience, knowing that there's no way we can know everything. And then what that does is that it creates a sequential There are several elements that flow out of that kind of comprehensive data gathering, and they flow out in a sequential order. There are eight of them specifically, and I want to list those for you as I wrap up the podcast. With that kind of comprehensive data gathering, there are eight elements that sequence themselves. There's a linkage here that flows out of that kind of data gathering. One is The obvious one is humility. Humility says, I do not know everything. And so now with all of this information, my heart is in a position of humility. Dear God, I need, I need you right now. I need your insight, your illumination. Holy Spirit, I need your illumination. God, help me to understand the word. Help me to hear what I'm not hearing with these individuals that are involved. I step into this situation with humility. Number two is courage. Courage is important because I was talking about earlier that the temptation to self-censor, the fear of others. I submit myself to the audience of one. The only opinion in this matter that ultimately drives me is the opinion of God. I have to have courage that flows out of humility, recognizing that I do not know everything. Number three is discernment. Humility, courage, now, God, I need your discernment, and I trust that you will help me to sift through the truth and the faults and to come out with what is real, what is actual. I need discernment. Number four, process. I'm going to take all that information, and I'm going to process it. What does the victim say? The Bible say? What do others say? What does the context say? Process, processing. Number five is time. I'm not going to set up an artificial timeline to try to come to a decision today or tomorrow. No, I am processing, and I need time to process. Processing and time are two sides of the same coin. The more time you have, uh, the more you're able to process, which leads to number six, change. Perhaps I will change my mind about a few things. Remember, my default was to trust, but sometimes the evidence can stack up in such a way And through humility and courage and discernment and processing and time, I'm free to change my mind. And then number seven is mystery. Uh, 
There's an element of mystery in all of these situations. There's an element of mystery in all relational interaction. There are things that we cannot know. There are things that we cannot know perfectly. And if you're not comfortable with mystery, then it will influence how you think about the situation and interact with the people who are involved in the situation. And so we have to bring in mystery and ask God to give us a reasonable, comfortable comfortableness with mystery. And then number eight is trust. Ultimately, I trust God to guide me as I make decisions in this situation. And so as I interact with the victim, the Bible, what other people say, the context, then a linkage forms out of that of humility and courage and discernment, processing, time, changing my mind, mystery, and trust. And with those things all working together, you have your best chance at understanding what has happened in an abuse situation. This is episode 389. I am talking about comprehensive data gathering in an abuse situation, some of the complexities, some of the angles, some of the fallacies, some of the things that we need to change, some of the things that we need to take heed to. If you would like to talk about this podcast, I again, I, I appeal to you to come to our forums. You're welcome to do that. If you have the mind and the time to do a deeper dive, then there is a whole lot more information in here that I would love for you to interact with. And then finally, there's a call to action here. And I have six questions that I, I don't have time to work through at this point. Uh, let me... Uh, I'll just ask you one as I wrap up. Question number one, when it comes to abuse cases, do you swing in one direction or the other? Do you believe all victims to the exclusion of additional information? Or alternatively, do you communicate a lack of belief to the abused? And then I have five more questions here, and it would be helpful to interact with them as you work through this podcast. Thank you for listening. You have been listening to Life Over Coffee with Rick Thomas. If you have a question for Rick, you can let him know by sending him a note through his website, rickthomas.net. That's rickthomas.net. Thanks for listening. Enjoy your coffee.